0: At loveisrael.org. That's one word loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: What does the Bible say about those who are wealthy? Well, it all depends. It all depends on two main factors. Number one, how did that person acquire wealth? What did they do to receive these large financial resources? And secondly, how are they managing that wealth? Are they being obedient to biblical principles? Are they using it for the will of God? Or are they using it for unrighteous purposes? Now, obviously, if a person has acquired wealth through unjust, unrighteous behavior, defrauding others, not giving to them what they deserve. And they keep it for themselves. And then that wealth they use in an ungodly manner. God's going to be very displeased with them. But God does not say something to the effect that if you are wealthy, he's displeased with you. Nowhere in the scripture do we see that. There has been people who have been wealthy, and they have earned through righteous behavior, through biblical principles, great sums of wealth. And furthermore, they use that wealth in a way to honor God. They please him, and they do that which is according to his will with these financial resources. Such a person, being wealthy, God may be very well pleased with them. So we always have to look not just at one or two verses, but all the passage and other portions of Scripture that speak to that same issue. So what does the Bible say about those who are wealthy? Well, to answer for one group of wealthy people, look with me to the book of James. Now, remember, James' literal name, both in Greek and in Hebrew, is Yaakov, so Yaakov wrote in the fifth chapter of his epistle, frequently called in English James, James chapter five, he wrote about those who were wealthy but not all the wealthy as we'll soon learn from this text. Verse one, James chapter five and verse one, he says, come now the wealthy ones. Now, in the first part of this verse, we don't know which wealthy people he's talking about. Could it be that he's talking about all wealthy in a general sense? Well, it could be now, but later on, we're going to see that this is not the case. James here is speaking about those who are wealthy through unjust, unrighteous, ungodly means. We'll remember that now, but we'll see it in very clear terms in a few moments. So he says, come now. It's a type of invitation. He is saying to people, I want to bring you to realize something. I want to lead you to a proper perspective concerning what God's going to do to you in the future. So he says, come now, the wealthy ones, and notice this calling, this invitation to learn this, it is not a joyful one, it is not going to be one that brings pleasure to these wealthy ones, because he says, weep, and the next word is a word for lamenting, wailing in pain and agony. Now, most scholars see these two words being used here because he wants to emphasize there is going to be great sorrow, weeping, tears, and also lamenting. And this lamenting or wailing has to do probably more with a physical suffering. So there's going to be emotional sadness, grief, sorrow, and suffering. This is the future that Yaakov is speaking to These wealthy individuals, he says, Come now, the wealthy ones, you weep, you wail, you lament, concerning your distress which is coming. Now, this word for distress speaks about difficulties, hardships. So, through these individuals, wealth their wealth is going to bring upon them weeping sorrow lamentation grief pain suffering and all types of distress these distressful things turmoil that is going to be coming into their life now look at verse 2. he says your wealth and then the next word is that which speaks about decay Meaning this, it's a word that speaks of something uh, rotting away, decaying, not lasting, not enduring. Realize this, the kingdom blessings of God, those things that God promised us that we're going to receive the kingdom, they are not going to wear out. They are not going to decay. What does Messiah say? And there's going to be a reference to this in a moment. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Well, a thief can't break in and steal these. You'll have them forever. Nor do they rust, nor do moths eat and devour them. They endure. So ask yourself a very important question. And that is, are you pursuing those things that are temporal? And as I say so frequently, In the book of Revelation, God's wrath is going to bring a destruction, a total annihilation of the wealth of this world in a moment. In a brief reckoning of time, all that wealth is gonna come to nothing. So are you laboring and striving after and perhaps cheating others, defrauding others in order that you might have something that is going to be the source of God's judgment, that his wrath is going to destroy, that is going to cause you to have grief, sorrow. You're going to lament. You're going to wail in pain because of that. Or are you truly storing up treasures in heaven, those things that come through obedience to the instruction of God? So he says, your wealth, It is decayed, and your garments, and this speaks of these fine clothes, these fine garments that that wealth, great sums of money, can purchase. And he says, your garments, they have become moth-eaten. Likewise, verse 3, your gold and silver, they have corroded and their rust and look at this next part the rust that is upon your wealth your gold your silver that corrosion it is a testimony he literally says it is for a testimony that will be against you so sometimes these things that people they may work hard to acquire but they work hard not utilizing the principles of scripture, not engaging in good deeds, but they simply work hard defrauding, cheating, deceiving others in order that they acquire wealth. And what God is saying here is that these things are going to testify against you and it will, this wealth, will devour your flesh as fire. You have stored up this fire, this judgment, and oftentimes biblically, fire is a source of judgment, reveals God's displeasure. It says what you have, have stored up for the last days. So God, there's a specific time. There is a day of reckoning. We've mentioned that already in the book of Revelation where the wealth God is going to bring to annihilation. And all of these things which these wealthy individuals have stored up, they have treasured, they have, have taken hold of, it is going to be a testimony against them for that, that last day and it will be a source that devours them, devours their flesh as the last days take place verse four now verse four is where we learn that these individuals they have received their wealth through through unjust means again those who work hard those who put to practice biblical principles and those who manage whatever they receive properly under godly instruction. If you're wealthy, praise God. These are resources that you can utilize to the glory of God. So in this one, he says wealthy. He's not speaking about all people who are wealthy. How do I know that? Well, when you get to verse four, it becomes very clean, clear. He says here, behold, the wages of workers that that gather up your fields so it's talking about those who harvest for you so much of of resources back then were agricultural in nature there was not great technology and such so many of the workers they were those who worked in the field so he says behold the wages of the workers who harvest your fields he says you have and it's a word which means to withhold that you have deprived that you have have cheated he says you have had they have been defrauded by you and what happens it says those who you have defrauded this one cries out now notice they're crying out Presently, why? Because they worked for you. That's the implication of the text, who it's addressing, these wealthy ones. They worked for you. And they brought about for you wealth. And you were supposed to take a portion of that and give it to them. That they might have what they need to purchase food and clothing, take care of their families, and have sustenance. But these wealthy ones they didn't do that. They defrauded, they they held back. They gained wealth through cheating, through deceit, through the suffering of others. And what he says right now, they are the ones who are crying. This one that you defrauded, he's weeping. Now there's going to be a change. Understand Judgment for a moment now I speak a lot about judgment because the Bible speaks a lot about judgment and I say this uh, so often if you are sitting under a teacher that never speaks about God's judgment this is not someone who takes seriously God's Word when you read the Gospels and I don't care if you're reading Matthew or Mark or Luke or John all of them speak frequently about God's judgment and God's judgment people hear that and they say well I don't like God's judgment then you are scripturally confused you don't know what the Bible says about judgment because God's judgment this day that is coming one of its purposes is to set things in order Today, there are those who are weeping because they have been defrauded. People have taken advantage of them. And they don't have what they need to feed their families, to clothe their families, to give shelter to their family, to do things of times of joy for their family. They are are suffering. They're weeping. And what God says is, there's a coming time that I'm going to set things in order. And those who were weeping now in this age, their tears are going to come to an end. He is going to deal with this injustice. When? At judgment day. So judgment is oftentimes a good thing. It is a source of vindication. It set things in its proper order. So now, this one who's been defrauded, he cries. And there are those that that weep. Who's weeping? Those who are harvesting. And they're weeping. And guess what? It says at the end of this verse, into the ears of who? The Lord of hosts. Adonai Sevaot. Now, remember the name of this book. This epistle is called Yaakov, I emphasize that. Because if we hear James, we may not have any connection to a Jewish individual, Individual, but if we hear Yaakov, Jacob, we know that is a, a Hebrew name. And it's so significant here that, that Yaakov, he chooses to use a term about the Lord God, and it's Adonai Sevaot the Lord of hosts. Now, we've talked about this term. It's not one that we see in the Torah, but it's one that appears primarily in prophecy. And it speaks about God who is exceedingly, better yet, all power. He is all powerful, exceedingly powerful, and therefore he can bring about the changes that he wants. Right now, there's a time where God is is long-suffering. He is patient. Now, as we move further into this passage, we are going to see that, that patience, being willing to endure, to suffer, and sometimes for a long period of time, God calls us to do that in anticipation of a change a glorious change that's coming that is brought about through and don't miss this brought about through the judgment of god so god's judgment we know that in the heavens they are going to be rejoicing praising god because righteous and true is he for judging this is a good thing so look again at the text it writes here in the middle of verse four, and the ones weeping of the harvesters, it says they're they're weeping into the ears of the Lord of hosts it enters into. And what's important about here is that it has entered into his ears in the past. It's still true now and it will continue in the future. Until when? until God responds. And he will indeed, and I cannot overemphasize this, God will indeed set all things in order. This is the whole message of the book of Revelation when it speaks about the throne of God, which is in heaven now, coming to earth. The throne of God coming to earth, being established in that millennial kingdom. By, by Messiah's rule, is all about setting things in order, bringing about righteous judgment. The outcome of God's will is going to be enforced. Look now to, to verse 5. It talks about those. Now, here's what these individuals did. They cheated their workers, their laborers, by not giving them what, what they had agreed upon. They did not pay others for the work, which these others did for them. What did they do with that money? They weren't concerned that these people may not have what, it, what they need to eat, what they need for their families. What did they do? Look again at verse 5. For he says, you, speaking of the wealthy, you lived, and this word means in a, a luxurious fashion upon the earth. And this next word speaks about self-indulgence, self-gratification, pleasure, meaning this. You use that wealth to indulge yourself in the things of this world in order that you could find an earthly, physical pleasure, whether that came through food, whether that came through fine clothes, whether it came through uh, different possessions that you might uh, acquire, or you spent that money in some type of activity, whatever it was, it was for luxury and to indulge yourself in order that you might have pleasure. And there was no thought, no concern concerning the suffering of others and it was at the cost of the pain of others their suffering that you were able to indulge yourself and lived in this life of luxury that's what he's saying and because of that keep reading in verse 5 he says you have fed your hearts as in the day of slaughter now fed your hearts the image here and the word here is like fattening the calf for the day of the slaughter. Meaning this, you know, you give that, that, that calf food, whatever he wants, so that he gets nice and fat, because his fatness is going to be your, your nourishment on the day of slaughter. And what God is saying here is this, he allows... This, this time of the wealthy, the wealthy ones that we're speaking about here, who violate godly principles, who exploit and defraud others in order that they might have luxury and self-indulgence. And God says, I'm allowing it temporarily. And you should think of it as just how the calf is allowed to grow fat for the day of slaughter. Verse 6, now these individuals, here again, what type of wealthy ones are we speaking about? Those who, look carefully at verse 6, those who condemn. It says you condemn, you murder, and who did they murder? The righteous one. Now, this gives us great insight. These wealthy ones, they are, are using their power, their resources, in other words, their wealth and what that wealth brought about to them, they use that all for condemning who, as it says here, you condemn, you murder the righteous one. They don't like that which is righteous. Now, some scholars point out that one of God's foremost characteristics is that he is a righteous God. I want to say that again. God, when God is in a situation, behaving there, bringing about his will, it is going to manifest righteousness. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. God's kingdom, what he intended this world to be, was a righteous world. It's far from that. Because your sin and my sin, we're the guilty ones. We have allowed unrighteousness in this world. And too frequently individuals pursue that which is unrighteous, and they persecute, they are against that which is righteous. So it says, you condemn, you murder the righteous one, who, this righteous one, does not even resist you. Meaning, they're not standing against you. They're not your enemy. They are committed to the will of God, the purposes of God, the plan of God. They walk in a character of righteousness. They're not against you, but because they are righteous, you condemn them and you put them to death. This is what These wealthy ones that that Yaakov is referring to, this is how they behave. This is how they think. Now look at verse 7. After hearing this, there's going to be some instructions to those who are are God-fearers, those who are concerned about the purposes of God those who are committed to the righteousness of God. So he says, and I alluded to this a few minutes ago, he says, therefore, speaking about speaking to true believers, he says, therefore, you be patient. You be willing to suffer, and at times, even suffering long. He says, therefore, be patient, and notice a very important word, Brothers. Now, again, this means brothers and sisters. It's simply a term that speaks about the family of God. That we're all brothers, we're all siblings in the faith under the lordship of our Father, our Father God. So he writes, Therefore, you be patient, brothers, until when? Until the coming of the Lord. Doesn't say until the coming of Yeshua the coming of the savior the coming of our teacher all those things are true that's who he is but it's very significant that it speaks about Lord Yeshua and that term Lord it reminds us even in the midst it is because he is our Lord that will be patient and that will suffer long now notice it says here the coming this word parousia and here in this context it's speaking about God's day when he gathers up, when he removes true believers from this world. And if you look at that word, arpazo, in the Greek, what's used in First Thessalonians 4 and verse 17, it speaks about a removal. Now, one of the reasons why we're not so concerned about the judgment the wrath of god is that god promises not to keep us and sustain us in the midst of it but he says i'm going to come and gather you up i'm going to remove you snatch you away take you away so could god keep us in the midst of his his wrath he could but he's not going to true believers he is going to remove unbelieving israel He is going to keep as he did in Egypt. He is going to sustain sustain them in the midst of of his wrath. His wrath is not going to be poured out upon Israel, but Israel will suffer and many will die. In fact, two-thirds will die because of the persecution of the Antichrist. Look again at verse 7. Therefore, you be patient, brothers, until the coming of of the Lord. And then he gives us example. Look at verse 7. Behold the farmer, he he waits with expectation. He is welcoming something, and what is that? He, he waits with expectation for the valuable fruit of the land. So he realizes that he plants, he has to tend, and There's a time. It doesn't happen overnight or in a few weeks. It takes time. He has to wait expectantly. And we do as well. This word for waiting expectantly is to welcome something. And we wait with expectation so that we can welcome the Lord when he gathers us up. Just like the farmers, they do, look at what it says, behold the farmer who waits expectantly, expectantly for the the valuable, the precious fruit of the land. It says, waiting for it until should be received the rain. What type of rain? Both the former and latter rains, the first rains and the last rains. He realizes something. There's not going to be harvest day. There's not going to be the receiving of those precious fruits until this process. There's the early rains and the latter rains. And then only after both of them will the fruit be able to be received. Same thing. There's a process. Certain things, just like the harvest, is not going to reach its fullness until... The latter rains also come in that same way. Until this process that God has ordained, until it plays out, there's not going to be that that kingdom being established, that setting of order from God's judgment. So we have to wait patiently. That's what he's telling us. Look now to verse 8, our last verse. Word says, once again, Be patient, also you. And when we're being patient, what should we do? Well, these difficult things that we're called to endure, this long-suffering, it's going to have an outcome for our life. And what is that? We don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. It tells us, verse 8, you also be long-suffering, why the implication is this suffering long this being patient this waiting with expectation it is going to strengthen it says you strengthen your hearts why because the coming of the lord it draws near now this should give us great excitement because one of the things that we can discern from this passage. See, there's a prophetic message here that we don't want to overlook, ignore. And that is this. As the coming of the Lord, and we're speaking about that blessed hope, the rapture, he's speaking to believers. So we're going to be removed, taken away from this world prior to God's wrath coming. We're going to be taken so that we will be with him. He's going to gather us up to be with him. And what he's telling us is this, he's given us a prophetic sign. When we see the wealthy ones defrauding, cheating, and that there is an, an overwhelming desire among most people to, to live luxuriously and to live in a way that indulges their flesh, gratify themselves. They are seeking physical pleasure, when, when this characterizes the world. And we see today how this truly is indeed the character of this world. We see that, that many, many of the, the most expensive brands, they're the popular ones. People spend so much resources in order to have something that, that is self-indulgent, something that the world sees as luxurious. So fewer and fewer people are are receiving the wealth in order that they might utilize it upon them. And they get this wealth, as he says here, by cheating and defrauding others. What Yaakov is telling us is that this is going to be the character of the world prior to the coming of Messiah. And I think when we look at the world, we see those companies which are extremely successful, those that are popular, the prices, the exorbitant prices people are willing to pay for, for clothes or a bag or shoes and such. We find that that many people, they're willing to pay for a pair of shoes what, what in some places, it can sustain a family for, for more than a month. And just to wear a pair of shoes for a few hours here and there, once in a while, and they have a closet full of them. This is the character of the world prior to God's judgment, God setting things in order. Yaakov gives us much to think about. and and an instruction about how we are called to be different, to wait with expectation for the blessed hope. Messiah is coming for us. This is how we should order our life with an expectation of his return, not being being committed to luxury and self-indulgence. It's a choice that each person has to make. Well, I'll close with that until next week, and we finish our study of this epistle of Yaakov. Until then, may God bless you. Shalom from Israel.
0: Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org